Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Do you want to make better decisions and live a life that is full, meaningful, and praiseworthy to God? It's not a secret on how to do that. The Word of God is very clear. You simply need to agree with Him. Recognize God's authority over your life. And when you submit to His instructions, you take His counsel and apply it to your life, when you agree with Him, good things are going to be the result. You are going to find yourself being the recipient of the promises of God and experiencing His presence in your life in order that you can overcome. And we're called to be overcomers. There's an enemy, and he wants to bring defeat, adversity, and shame into your life. And he'll do just that unless you say yes to the truth of God. Well, take out your Bible and look with me, if you would, to the book of Malachi and chapter 1. The book of Malachi and chapter 1. Now, obviously, we know that this one is a prophet. And most scholars see that this prophet Malachi, that he returned after the exile had been completed. He had come back to the land. And he was one who was speaking as a prophet of the Lord to those who had resettled in the promised land. We see that there was a temple functioning when he prophesied. And the people, they were a disagreeable people. They were not submissive. They did not want to recognize his authority. In other words, they were spiritually stubborn. And one of the things that they demonstrated significantly was their doubting of God. God would say one thing and they would challenge it, not believe it, not accept it. So before we get started, we need to ask ourselves a question. Does that describe me? Am I spiritually stubborn? Am I doubting the things of God? Do I disagree with what God has commanded me to, to do? If those things are true for you, good news you can repent. Now, it may not be an easy pathway back to where God wants you to be, but the good news is this. With God, all things are possible. You can arrive back into His will where you can know His provision, where you can be doing His will, and that you can be an instrument of glory. And when you bring glory to Him, it is going to produce joy in your life. So look with me to this prophecy of Malachi chapter 1 and verse 1. It begins with the word Massah, which is burden. 
Now, in modern Hebrew, we take this same word and we put it not in the masculine but in the feminine and we find something. It becomes a word for truck. A truck, that which you can put things into it to carry. So you can load it up. You can put various things in it, a, a burden you can place upon it and it can carry it. And what it's saying here is that God has a difficult message, a burden. He's going to load up the people with some, some difficult things. But as I said, with God, all things are possible. And this burden is indeed connected to prophetic truth. We read, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel. And again, this is for those who have returned out of exile, those who are in the promised land. So he says to Israel, a once again united people. Now, we know that for the most part, that northern kingdom that was called Israel because after King Solomon, the empire was divided. And it was never truly reunited. That's going to happen in the last days. That is a prophecy that Ezekiel gives to us about this unity that one day will be established in the last days. But here we see a remnant a remnant from the north and those out of Babylon and those that remained in Judah, they have come together. And once again, there is Israel, a united nation. And it says that this burden of the word of the Lord comes to Israel. How? In the hand of Malachi. Now, this term, Malachi, is messenger can also be translated angel, but in this context, we know it's the prophet. So he is a messenger. And that last part of his name, E, is possessive, meaning my messenger. So God has sent him, and this term in the hand means with authority. This man comes to prophesy with authority, the authority of God. Look at verse 2. I have loved you, said the Lord. God is speaking and not says the Lord, but said the Lord. He has said in the past, and he's affirming it now that he has loved this people. And he has demonstrated his love for the people. How? The exodus from Egypt is one very good example. Sustaining them in the wilderness those 40 years is another causing them to take possession of the promised land. There were numerous enemies that had united against them, but God gave victory to his people. And we see that God even caused his name by establishing his temple in Jerusalem, his name to dwell among the people. A name is synonymous with his presence among them. So God has indeed shown his love. He says, I have loved you, said the Lord. But notice the response. God is still speaking and he's going to quote what the people say in response. And again, very important that you see this. This people are a doubting people. This people are those who are disagreeable to the word of God. And therefore, things are not going to go well for them. 
God says, I have loved you. But the people say, what? You say, with what have you loved us? They are not remembering all of the good things that God has done. The fact that they are back in the land, the fact that there's a temple shows the love of God. And therefore, he's going to teach them. And he says, look at the second part of verse 2. He's going to speak about two men, Esau and Jacob. In Hebrew, Esau Yaakov. And we know something. God has chosen Jacob. Now, don't believe a lie that Calvinism teaches, and that's Reformed theology. Let me just simply say, Reformed theology is dangerous. It relies too much upon the, the intellect of men rather than trusting in the revelation of God. You see, Calvinism says that God, because he's sovereign and God is sovereign, that he simply chose Jacob and chose to reject Esau because God can do that. That's who he is. He can do whatever he wants. Well, God wants to do that which is right. And what we're going to see here is that this choice, and God did choose Jacob and rejected Esau, but it was not because of some doctrine of election that simply came because God says, I choose him and reject him. But there was a reason for it, and the text is going to teach us this. So let's pay close attention. Look, if you would, to the second part of verse 2. He says, Is not a brother Esau to Jacob? It's literally what it says. Is there not a brother Esau to Jacob? Doesn't he have a brother Esau? And the answer is yes. And, and we see here that, that God declares this, declares the Lord. But he says, this is where it gets important. He says, I love Jacob. Now, it's in the present tense, the term ohev. So God loves Jacob now, currently. And we've learned something. Whenever the, the present tense is used, it's for the purpose of emphasizing this is important. God loves. He has loved, but he is loving, and he will continue to love. All of that's true. But here he's saying, I love Jacob, verse 3. But Asaph I have hated. Now, this is in the past tense. And it just doesn't mean that I have hated him in the past, but it speaks about a condition. In this case, this, this past tense is something that speaks about it in a general sense and in a continuing sense. So he says, but Asaph I have hated and I have set his mountains a desolation and his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. Now again, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, did God do that just as a matter of election, a choice, one that he was free to make because he's God? Did it come in a vacuum simply because God chose one and rejected another because this is God? This is not, and I want to say that again, 
This is not what the scriptures revealing. We see something very different. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 is to show us that that Edomite spirit. Now, Edom is going to be used here, that term, and we need to remember something. Edom, this is a word that relates to red. And we are told, going back to the book of Genesis, that, that Esau was, was red and hairy. And he loved that red stew. And he was willing to forfeit his birthright for one meal. Very foolish. And what we see here is that he has a defiant spirit. He disagrees with God. Verse 4. For Edom will say, we are impoverished. Now, this is a word which means to tread down, to beat down. And it can also be used for being impoverished, to make one very poor. So Esau is saying, we have been beat down, trampled upon, and we're poor. But, notice what he says, we have been impoverished, but we will return and we will rebuild the, the desolate places, those, those ruins. And notice God's response. Thus said the Lord of hosts. Notice the change. Lord of hosts now. Speaking about God as a mighty God. This is what God says. They will rebuild, but I will tear down. And they shall call to them, meaning calling about Esau, that, that they are a border of Rish'ah, which means wickedness. So we see something. God says, I'm going to destroy these things of yours. And Esau runs back, the descendants after him, Edom, in order to rebuild what God has destroyed. And God says, I'll tear it down again because you are known as the border, and it's speaking here of an area, an area of wickedness. So God's choice didn't come in a vacuum. It's not simply a doctrine, a false doctrine of election, which says that God kind of closed his eyes and without any foreknowledge, without any anything, God chooses Jacob and he rejects Esau. This is not what the scripture says. The scripture says he hates Esau and has hated him for a period of time. And we're going to see that hatred is going to continue because of this defiant spirit of Esau. And why do I say that? Well, look at the end of verse 4. The people which the wrath of the Lord unto forever. Did you hear that? God's wrath is going to be upon them. That's why I said he's hated them, but that, that hatred is going to continue. Why? Because they are forever disobedient. They are committed to wickedness within their border. It's a border of wickedness. And therefore, the wrath, the word is za'am. The wrath of the Lord is unto forever. Verse 5. Your eyes shall see and you shall say, based upon God's punishing of, of Esau, they are going to say, meaning the children of Israel are going to say, the Lord will be magnified beyond the border of Israel. 
Now, what does that mean? We have Asaph being a border of wickedness, but God is going to be magnified. He's going to be proclaimed as great beyond the border of Israel. Now, Israel's going to get larger and not smaller. We see today, according to the wisdom and intelligence of men, they want Israel to give up land. And they think that that giving up land is going to bring peace. It will not. It will bring war. It will bring an encouragement to the enemy to try to stamp out and destroy all the Jewish people. No, God's will is for Israel to increase her borders to be bigger. And that has to happen for Israel to fulfill what God has called Israel to be. And that is its borders from the river in Egypt all the way to the Euphrates River. Israel's going to get bigger. And we know when that's going to happen. When God, his wrath, is poured out upon Esau. That's what's going to bring it about. So Israel's going to get bigger with God bringing judgment, his wrath upon Esau. Look now, if you would, to verse 6. Now we're going to identify the problem. Not only are the people disagreeable, but they do not want to give honor to God. So let me ask you a question. This is foundational. Do you honor God? Not just with words, but in actions. And we're going to see an example. Look, if you would, to verse 6. It says, a son, he will honor his father, and a servant his master. And if I'm a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, and it uses that term master or lord in the, the plural to mean an abundant one, am I? Where is my? And this next word can mean fear, but in this case, it means respect. Now, if a son says, oh, dad, I honor you, I, I praise you, I, I, I want to be a faithful son to you. And he says all of these wonderful things, the father's going to like that, but that is going to be conditional upon this son carrying it out. If he says, oh, I want to obey you, I want to bring honor to you, and he goes out and does just the opposite in unrighteous and disobedient behavior, is that that honorable? Is that being a, a, a pleasing son? It is not. And what God is saying is that you say all the right things, but there's no true honor being given to me. He says, where is, and we might translate it, my respect, said the Lord of hosts. And then we're going to see that in this, this prophecy of Malachi, there's going to be an emphasis on the priests, known in the Bible as Kohanim, that they are not, any better than the people that that they are individuals that are participating in that same evil thinking that the people have not wanting to honor god not wanting to respect god not wanting to serve god look if you would to the second part of verse six where it says to you O priests the ones who bozesh me that is despise my name. 
Now, we might be able to translate it by saying that they have contempt for the name of God. And who are they? Well, priests are supposed to be the servants of God. They're supposed to be carrying out his work. But what do they have? They have contempt. They despise the name of God. What does name mean? Character. They don't give any value or respect to the character of God. And notice this disagreeable spirit. But you say God is speaking to them, quoting them. But you say, with what have we shown contempt towards your name? And he says, because, look at verse 7, because you offer up upon my altar what type of bread? Bread that's been defiled. Now, this word, and it can relate to defilement, but it's bread that is old and moldy and not fit to be eaten. So what are the people doing? They're giving to God garbage, that which there's no use for it whatsoever. They're not wanting to eat it. They don't think it's good. It's moldy bread, and they're trying to simply give it to God. What does that mean? They have no respect for him they're not treating God as they want to be treated and therefore this is why there's a burden of the Lord that is being placed upon them and notice it says here because they place upon my altar defiled bread but here again the people this defiant people but you say God is quoting them but you say with what have we defiled you when you say god's going to point it out when you say that the table of the lord it is contemptible meaning again they have no respect for what well this table is probably a reference to the altar and what they're saying is this we by our behavior by our thoughts we have contempt we despise making sacrifices to God, giving to God what he wants to receive. So ask yourself a question. Are you consistent in worshiping God and giving to God and the purposes of God that which is good, that which is useful? Or are you simply giving to God what, what you don't want, what you don't have use for? what's no longer of any value to you the people had contempt they had a degree of despising worshiping god because biblically there's a relationship between giving and worship and we can see what a sacrifice is giving giving to god what he requires not what we want to give him so they have contempt for the things of God and it gets worse look at verse 8 for you offer up and it's talking about some animal you offer up a blind animal to sacrifice is this not and notice this is this not evil and the point is this when we do not do what God wants us to do when we don't agree with God What's the outcome of that? Evil. And evil will bring upon one 
the judgment of God. From where do we learn that? Esau. Esau had contempt for his birthright. Esau wasn't interested in serving God. He wasn't interested in God's program, God's covenant, what God was interested in. And what happened? Esau is an eternal recipient of the wrath of God. So these individuals, he's speaking to the people as well as an emphasis on the priests who allow it. For, look at verse 8. For you have offered up the blind for a sacrifice. Is this not evil? For you offer up, you present, is literally this word, one that is lame, one that is sick. Is this not evil? And it says, look at the end of verse verse 8 where it says, Would you offer it up unto your governor? So would you give as a gift, and this is a governor, a political leader, a secular leader. Would someone give to such a leader, such a a sacrifice, an offering, a, a gift, giving him a blind or paralyzed or sick animal? Of course not. He says, would this be received? Would you be received by him? Or would he, and look at this next part, would he, and this is a word which means to to basically look kindly upon. It means to, to lift up the face, place his countenance, meaning him looking kindly upon you. Now, the message is this. If this man, a secular leader, would not look kindly upon this, how much more so the holy, righteous Lord of hosts. And what we see here is this. The people have no respect, no sensitivity, no real thinking about, is this pleasing to God or not? See, you're not going to experience good things in your life from God, his blessings and being recipients of his promises until you, are able to think what is pleasing to God. What does he require of me? What would be that which would please him? This is what the scripture is saying. Look again at at verse verse 8 at the end. Would he receive you? Would he lift up your face? Meaning would he show a, a countenance, his countenance in a favorable way upon you, said the Lord of hosts? Now, in this passage, God is speaking and revealing himself as not just Lord, but the Lord of hosts. Why is that? That term is God with power. Hosts means an army. And it's in the plural, a a mighty, and a army that's multiplied over and over and over is God's army. And he's saying here, I'm the Lord of the heavenly hosts, and I demand what's right you need to know who i am and until we have the right perspective for god we're not going to be individuals that are able to respond to him properly it begins with knowing god and when we know god correctly then we can submit properly to him and recognize his authority over our life and it all begins as i said by saying yes to god shalom from israel 
Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Shalom from Israel.